Vision Christian Radio bumper stickers are a practical way to show the world how much you love vision. New stickers are available now. Choose the I Love Vision sticker or your local frequency and proudly display your affiliation with Australia's national Christian radio network. It's more than just a sticker, it's a statement and might help someone you'll never meet discover vision and start looking to God daily. Whether you're parked or cruising through town, Vision Bumper Stickers will turn heads and spark conversations. Stick it, show it, and let everyone know you're tuned to Vision. Available now at vision.org.au slash stickers. Order your Vision Bumper Sticker today. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. Then he explained that his wife had been to a seminar and received this Holy Spirit. I didn't know what he was talking about. And having received the Holy Spirit, she prayed for him in their bed at night and he got it as well. And hence he came in full of the Holy Ghost into our factory. It was blossomed and shining and saying how wonderful the world was. And in the end, I said to my wife, you know, he'll have to go. He's obviously, you know, got a problem. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Charles King was probably one of the least likely persons to become a Christian. He was 50 years old and had never really thought much about God. Also, after going through World War II, he couldn't imagine how God could exist with so much evil in the world. Today, we'll hear how God finally got a hold of his heart as Reverend Charles King shares his story. He's having a chat with Karen Hunt. You were born in England, Charles. I know that you were born again in New Zealand. That was in 1971. Was it really? Okay, well, let's just track back to those early years in the UK. Where exactly were you born and raised and what I was, was born life in like? in London, but mm-hmm. lived in Sussex for yeah. a long period. And I'd been through the war and I didn't believe in Jesus at all. So a non-believer being, being through the war, what does that mean for you? Well, I was a chief engineer in the Royal Navy. Yeah. And I saw, obviously, lots of bad things. And I really couldn't see how God could be involved in all the murder I was seeing. And mm-hmm. I just didn't believe there was a God. That, that was me. And I was like that until I was 50 years of age. 50? That's quite a milestone. When you were a little guy, though, your family, so no, no faith involved at in all? No, family, no. What did your family look like? Who was there? Well, um, Dad was 89 and he'd been in the First World War and he was almost the same as me, I think. Mum mm-hmm. was 79 when she died and I moved to New Zealand in 1970 from London because we found London. I, I had a business there, I had a factory in London, and I decided, uh, as my two sons had gone to live in New Zealand and see what it was like to see their auntie, mm-hmm. I decided we'd follow them. And it, the reason for it is we lived in a house in Sussex, in Wadhurst, Sussex, which was 600 years old. Wow. Uh, in 10 acres of land, and I, I was making some money in those days. And... Um, I remember one day there was about six foot of snow outside and icicles hanging off the branches and it was Christmas and my two sons were in New Zealand and I said to my wife, you know, we're crazy. 
We're so crazy. We're sitting here in a beautiful home, freezing cold, can't do anything. Let's go to New Zealand. So we sold everything and went to New Zealand. And why not? The thing to do. It was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> so before you actually met your wife, were you yeah. always wanting to grow up and be an engineer? What did you enjoy? I to be an engineer from about naught onwards. Really? I always wanted to be an Even when I was about 12. Yeah. Um... If you broke your bike or something or the wheel was bent, I could straighten it up for you for, for a penny. <laughs> for a penny. Use the brain and make it work. Yeah, no trouble. I'm actually a bike trader toolmaker. Did you have siblings, brothers or sisters? Three brothers and two sisters. And where do you fit? I fit in as the youngest. You were the baby and you were the fix-it man. That's right. <laughs> and of course, the 1920s, as you know, every mum was out of work. It was a, not a good time to be alive in London. What do you remember? I remember being hungry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I remember the struggle we had. And uh, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I'm saying this publicly, that my brother and I used to often go out and try and steal food. We were hungry. Mm. <laughs> but mm. that's how bad it was because they were the days when everyone was out in the, all over the world was out of work. There was this big thing, if you remember, where the world died. Unfortunately, we were caught up in it. And my father had been uh, captured in the First World War in the Battle of the Somme. Mm-hmm. And his attitude to Christianity was much the same as mine. He didn't believe there could be a God. Not with all the, all the murder you see. Did he have faith in his family prior to that, do you know? No, none whatsoever. We never ever thought about God in our family. So the war really has had an impact, generationally. Oh, it did, yes. It just really made us realise that there wasn't a God, there couldn't be a God with all the murder going on, yeah. which we were involved in. <laughs> Can you tell us how you met your dear wife and uh, how that changed your dear life? Well, uh, she was 17 and I was 19, I think, and um, we were both learning to do the foxtrot and the quick step and all the <laughs> dances of those days to get yeah. our gold medal. And this is where I met her. So competition ballroom dancing. Yes. Anyway, um, she was with this guy, and I thought she was really lovely. So I said to this guy, I'm going to take your girlfriend home. And he said, well, I don't care. So I took her home, and that's how we first met. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the winner. Well done. Yeah, I won her, yeah. And, and what- from then on, we became very good friends, and then I joined the Navy. Um, I was exempt from going to the war because I was making tools to make stem guns and all the other things for war. Uh-huh. But eventually I was able to join up and, uh, you know, I, I sort of felt after the bombing of London that um, I really wanted to have a go at Hitler, so I did. So she herself, although you didn't grow up with any faith aspect as such, she herself did have a family background in the faith? Oh, yes, yes, so they were quite quite believers. I wasn't at all that she was. Did that bother you? No, I never even thought about it. Did it bother her that you weren't? No, it didn't bother her either. We were too much in love, I think. Oh, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> and what was her thing? What was she doing? She went to university until she was about 19, I think. But I was busy, um, you know, manufacturing tools in the factory. But uh... Okay, so you mentioned just before how one particular day you guys just decided, hey... Your two sons have moved to New Zealand. Well, they didn't move. They went to see their auntie in ah. Papitaritari in New Zealand. Okay. Uh, and stayed there for about a year and really loved it. And then um, I think my number two son, 
who's now a vicar in New Zealand uh, of the Anglican Church. Yeah. Um, he wanted to come home and marry his girlfriend. So he came back, and then the other one came back, and then they both decided they didn't want to live in England anymore. Okay. So off when they went back to New Zealand. <laughs> wow. That's when we decided one Christmas to follow them. You've got two boys. Do you have... So I've got two boys. Yeah. Grandsons? I've got three boys and one daughter. Okay, so you've got four children altogether. Yes. Okay, so the other two are still in, in England? No, the two, we had two children, two boys, and about 12 years later, the boys kept on about having a sister. <laughs> so if I remember right, we went off to Paris for a weekend and we had a sister. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, my wife said, you can't have an only child, it's too lonely for them. <laughs> so yes. we had a son. So we had three sons and one daughter. Congratulations. My daughter's an opera singer in London nowadays. Is she true? And how many grandchildren do you have altogether? Uh, I think I've got about 20 in New Zealand, 20. something like that. 20, <laughs> and that's just in New Zealand. Yeah, they're all living in New Zealand. I live in Australia alone at the moment. <laughs> okay, so before we find out how you came to Australia, tell us about your time in New Zealand. Now, I know you said you were born again at the age of 50. Take us through your journey, Charles. Take you through the journey. Well, in, in the first of all, I have to tell you that my sales manager name was Tony Troke. Mm. Now, Tony um, was from London, a very good salesman, and he'd been with me for quite a long time. But he came in, uh, to, uh, I was sitting in my office in my factory one day with my wife. We were talking, she's the accountant, that's what she was. And um, we were talking when he knocked on the door and came in, and he was sort of glowing. And he said how wonderful the world was, and, and the trees were beautiful, and the sky was wonderful. <laughs> and uh, I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and we thought, you know, is he sane? We thought he'd really gone off his head a bit. And then he explained that his wife had been to a seminar and received this Holy Spirit. I didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. And having received the Holy Spirit, she prayed for him in their bed at night, and he got it as well. And hence he came in full of the Holy Ghost into our factory, blossomed and shining and saying how wonderful the world was. And in the end, I said to my wife, you know, he'll have to go. He's obviously, you know, got a problem. The outcome of that was that he said about three hours later that in the Bible, God had told him to take up some land. And so could he have the day off to find the land? And I'm amazed that he came back in the afternoon and he found eight acres of land which belonged to the Catholic Church wow. with an old house on it. Yeah. Having found this, he then said, could he have the next day off to see the Catholic Church? So he went and saw the Catholic Church and they said, you can have it as long as it's with God's use for seven years. No charge. But you have to rebuild the house. So then he comes back and he said he was going to resign from his job and set up this place, and he was going to call it Peacemakers. Now, him and his wife then set it up, and, and I, I brought him into the office, and I said, look, you know, you've got no money, you're obviously in trouble, and, 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 and I think you're going to starve to death. I was serious about this. Yeah. So I said, anything you want from the canteen, you can have. Just go and help yourself. So he set up Peacemakers, and he used quite a lot of milk and sugar and all the rest of the things from the canteen for about a year. And then he began to stand on his own feet. And he had a Wednesday night and a Saturday night meeting. Now, I didn't ever go to the meetings, but I heard stories of, particularly on a Saturday, where 
the Holy Spirit used to come in, or whatever it is what came in, and people were healed on the spot. Mm. Uh, cancers were healed, and and all, and God moved in mm. amazing ways. And I still thought it was all a bit funny and wasn't really interested. Neither was my wife, by the way. She didn't seem to be bothered. And the outcome of all that was that for about six months, him and his wife prayed for me every single day that I would meet Jesus because they knew I was totally opposite. And um, it would have been home one Saturday. Um, I was sitting in the chair patting my dog and smoking my pipe. And my daughter um, and wife were sitting on the settee when I jumped out the chair as if it was red hot. I can't explain it. And my daughter, who was born again at 12, said, why don't we go and see Tony? And I thought, well, you know, it's a funny thing to do, but I'll go. So I went with her to see Tony over at Peacemakers. And they were waiting on the doorstep. And they said, we knew you were coming today. God told us. I thought, well, you know, what are we up to here? You know, I was still suspicious. And um, he said, would you like to come in and kneel down? So I knelt down. I didn't know why, but I did. And they laid hands on me. And um, I literally fell on my face and I cried my eyes out for about an hour and a half, literally on the floor. And uh, I came back a totally different guy. I wasn't the same mind. I wasn't, I wasn't in a situation where on Friday I was saying to the girls in the factory, get a move on. On Monday I was blessing them, you know, and they, they all thought I'd gone loony as well. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Reverend Charles King about his life journey. And as we've been hearing, it started off with Charles being far away from God and probably one of the least likely persons to become a Christian. But at 50 years old, God got a hold of his heart. We'll find out about the impact Christ has had on the second half of Charles' life when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Karen Hunt chatting with Reverend Charles King, who appeared to be one of the least likely people to put their faith in Jesus. He was once a chief engineer with the Royal Navy in England, and after going through World War II, he couldn't imagine how God could exist with so much evil in the world. But, as we heard before the break, God eventually got a hold of his heart in a profound way. Now, we'll find out what happened next in Charles's life. What difference, truly, did this experience have for you, and obviously then the impact on your family? Well, first of all, when I got into bed that night, my wife said she could feel the Holy Spirit on me. She said she, it was so strong she could feel it. <laughs> I didn't know what she was talking about, but that's what she said. Yeah. Then um, I couldn't put the Bible down. And um, I read in there that God said when he rose again, he would leave the Holy Spirit and we could do more with it than he did. Mm. And I believed him, so I went and did it and it worked. <laughs> it sounds Wherever very went, simple. It's amazing. I prayed for people for healing and they got it. <laughs> did you understand what was happening? No, no not a clue. All I know is, 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 is 
Jesus, they healed people. I thought we could do the same. So I did, and it, went, it seemed to work. And you were being obedient. Yeah, well, it was amazing. <laughs> Not only that, but other things happened, absolutely amazing things. Like I what? I began to speak in this funny language. Yep. You know? <laughs> what else? Tell us about those other things. The other things is, um, Tony said to me one day, he was going to pop into the prison. Would I like to go along with him? And uh, I said, yes, I would like to. I've never been in a prison before. So we went to Auckland Prison with him, and I spent two hours um, in the prison. I got on really well with all the Maori guys and the different guys in there. I, I sort of had a thing for them. There was no problem. But the thing about it is that when we left the prison, I couldn't get any peace. I had to go back to prison. I, at night, I couldn't sleep. God was sort of getting at me go to go to prison. That was for me. And I think that's what God wanted me to do, to spend my time working for him in prisons. And that's what I did. Uh, the first thing I did is I rang Auckland Prison and asked if I could have permission to come in. And they said, yes, you can come in if you like on Wednesday afternoon, Thursday night and Sunday morning. Yeah. But it would be in different times. So I said, right, I'd like to do that. And I always remember, can you imagine about 80 Maoris all in war paint? and other people all in the prison, 60 of them, there's me. I'd never, ever been in prison or spoken in a prison in my life. Mm -hmm. And I was really nervous. But, you know, I just began to read out the Bible and everything settled down. It was amazing. And then we began to sing a few songs. And then uh, about, I was allowed an hour and a half, and I used to spend about 20 minutes then amongst them, just talking to them. And, and I began to realize then I couldn't do it on my own. And so I went around some of the churches and some of the full gospel businessmen chapters and ask if they could come in and help me, you know, in the prison ministry. And I, I eventually finished up with about 10 people who regularly came in with me. And I did this on my own for, oh, I don't know, probably four years. Yeah. And I'd already joined full gospel, wasn't really involved with them. It's when they approached me one day and asked if I'd be their representative in the prison. So I said yes. And it was some years after that, not too many years, about four, I think, when they promoted me to the National Director of Prison Ministry. I was in charge of all the prisons in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And my job was to go around and to find either churches or full gospel chapters, get a group to go in every prison in New Zealand, every single prison, mm. uh, so that we could preach and, and do what we could for the guys. And that took me 30 years, but I did it in the end. Wow. And it was then when I left to come to Australia, I, I began to feel the cold in New Zealand. So I decided to come to Australia. And uh, immediately I got here, I joined um, Prison Fellowship and uh, they checked me out and then made me the chaplain to a Numbinbar prison for now, well, I've been there for 14 years now as chaplain. And I've just sort of retired lately. This last few months I've decided it's time I ease back and I'm sort of busy in other areas. So that, that is sort of where I'm up to at this stage. And, and I'm not retired, and I'll never retire, uh, I'm afraid. I can't. I've got too much to do for God. Well, you've still obviously got so much life in you at 94 years of age. And Charles, you were mentioning about your lovely wife. You told me that just earlier this year she passed away. Are you able to give us some insight? Yes. Um, we'd gone to bed at usual about half past ten. And she got up in the morning about half past five for some reason. Yeah. I imagine I go to the toilet. And um, 
for all the years of what we were married, she always brought me in at half past eight a biscuit and a cup of tea, <laughs> which was beautiful. Yeah. And uh, she didn't appear. She just didn't appear. Oh. So I got out of bed to see what was happening, and I couldn't find her, and I found her in the bathroom, sitting on the stool, and dead. Her heart had passed. She, she just passed away at half past five in the morning and sat oh. there and died. Oh, and boy, was it a shock, I can tell you. Oh, I can only imagine. So um, I staggered back to the lounge and sat down and in, a, in, a, in a state of really shock. And uh, eventually I rang North, North, North and got some help. But um, we, we'd had a beautiful marriage for 72 years. And it was, you know, one of those dream marriages. We never, ever argued. We always got on very well together. So, so for me, it's a lonely life at the moment. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that, Charles. Was she in any ill health at all? She was fit. Fit as a fiddle. She just had a heart attack. All of a sudden, out of the blue. So you're there on your own. Do you have any of your family around you, no, or are they all in New Zealand? No, I though. All my family are in, in New Zealand or England. My daughter is opera singer in London. My number two son is a vicar in the Anglican Church in New Zealand. My eldest son, who's now 72, is retired. Um, my younger son is also a musician, so that's where they all are. But they're all in New Zealand and England. So how do you spend your days now? You were telling us about the prison fellowship involvement in, well, uh, in Numanbar. You, you were a chaplain. I still keep in touch with a lot of these guys that have come out of prison to make sure they're still going to church. Oh, good on you. So I'm very busy keeping an eye on all my lads. The friendship ministry, mentoring. Yeah, as well, as well as that. And I make sure they're okay and, you know, uh, some of them have had troubles when they've come out and so on. Well, I, I also do counselling, so I try and help them as best I can. Mm. So I'm still involved in the prison in a different way. <laughs> sure. Looking after the people that I've led to the Lord to make sure they're still with the Lord. Yeah, that's very, very special. And what about your church, the chapel? Tell us about that. Oh, my church. Well, there's a, there's a history there, actually. Yeah. Um, we were a small church in which I helped to run, and um, we, we actually, the, the, some, some kids caught the place on fire one day, and we really lost the church. We got down to about eight people, mm. and we prayed for a miracle. We prayed and prayed, both myself and the, and the other pastor, and uh, one day there was a, a, an, on a Sunday, a knock at the door, and it was two people from New Zealand, and they were wanting to open a church on the coast here but couldn't find anywhere to go and they suddenly said look we wonder if we could join you so we went from eight people to 200 in a year Ooh, well done <laughs> yeah and and it's an absolutely incredibly wonderful church what are your hopes and goals now from this day forward oh, i just continue what i'm doing i i, I help immigrants that have come here that you know some of these people that have come by boat I'm quite involved with trying to help them and, you know, they're not allowed to work, so I try to do what I can to help them financially here and there. And where do you see God in your picture currently? Oh, he's just with me all the time there. Yeah. So for someone listening right now who doesn't know what that is, what would you say to encourage them and connect faith to their life? I would really encourage them to seek Jesus. Uh, I can tell you now, absolutely, and I'm absolutely right, that it will change your attitude to life. You will begin to love people and adore people and help what you can. You reverse from being, if you like, 
not not liked or disliked or too much swearing or whatever, I recommend you go to your local church, talk to your pastor or vicar, and ask if you could just talk to you, talk to you about Jesus. Do it today. Don't mess about. Go now and change your life for the better is what I recommend you to do. Thanks, Charles. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Reverend Charles King in a conversation that was recorded back in 2014. Since that time, I'm sad to say, Charles passed away in 2017 at the age of 98. But as we heard, Charles was on fire for the Lord and heavily involved in ministry work right up to his final years. As was mentioned, one of the ministries he was involved in was the Full Gospel Men's Business Fellowship International. We're told that after Charles's wife died, he became the backbone of the organisation and the right-hand man of the president. Charles's passing was especially sad for many of the members because he had become like a father or grandfather to many of them, always going out of his way to be an encouragement to people at the various branches. Charles has set a wonderful example for all of us regarding ending well. At the end of his life, Reverend Charles King could say the same words that the Apostle Paul said in the Bible, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for Reverend Charles King reflecting on his incredible life story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I was advised by my doctor to take antidepressants tablet. and But that didn't help anyway. I was in a very desperate, very difficult time. And at one point, uh, my wife left me behind. Prem Sabedi is the recently retired Director of International Nepal Fellowship in Nepal. He'll share the story behind their ministry and how they work to help people in a variety of ways. Also, Prem will share how God came into his life after going through a very dark period himself. All that and more is coming up next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.